So I'm always trying to figure out, how can I do new stuff? So I just started making one-minute videos, a new one every single week, and you can check them out on Instagram and on Facebook, or signing up and just getting them sent to you by being on the mailing list. The address on Facebook and Instagram is David Sachs Spiritual Tools. That's all one word, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Or you can get on the mailing list at TorahOniTunes.com. I hope you like them. Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we have a lot of uh, exciting uh giant concepts to discuss. Uh, and, and as everybody knows, we just received the Torah. And, and that's an ongoing process, by the way. It's taking place all of the time. And Reb Shlomo said it so beautifully. I just want to share with you a, a, a mushal, an example that he gave um, that really sort of like kind of underscores the beauty of, of, of receiving the Torah. And the, the, the idea here, the essential element here is that, is that it wasn't, it was a historical event, but, but that it's an ongoing historical event. Meaning to say that, that the giving of the Torah is every single moment, which means for us, the receiving of the Torah is every single moment. And just listen to how beautifully, uh, Reb Shlomo expresses this idea. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an odd, Example, but but it's it's deep. So here it goes. Imagine a man comes uh, comes home, and he sees his wife isn't wearing her wedding ring, and he asks her. He says, you know, just ask her about it. Where and 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 she she says back to him, um, well, you gave it to me. It's mine, and I gave it to someone else. So, you know, if you think about it, there there is a logic to that. He did give it to her. It is hers. She can do what she wants with it. And, you know, she can give it to someone else. So so all of that on a very strict logical level tracks and, and makes sense. And yet anyone who hears that, there's something inside of them that says, wait, there's something very wrong going on here. So so why is that wrong? In other words, what's what's off, so to speak? And, and the answer is, and, and this is the depths of what Reb Shlomo is saying, it's so beautiful. The answer is, is that there's a certain type of giving which keeps on giving. In other words, there's a, there's a, there's a type of giving where the giving itself never ends. And even though you could point to a calendar date or point to a watch to the exact time that the transaction took place, nonetheless, this gift is coming from such an awesomely deep place that the giving itself never ends and that the receiving never ends. And by the way, this is one of the levels of explanation. Um, the custom is under the chuppah, when, when a couple gets married, they, get, they give a ring. Why a ring is round? Because this idea of the circle, this never-ending circle, is an expression that the giving and the bonding that's taking place right now 
is this ongoing, never-ending bonding. And there's so many deep things about the giving of the Torah itself. Um, One of my favorites is that if you look in the Torah, every single holiday in the Torah has a calendar date associated with it. So, for instance, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Adin, it says it's the first day of the seventh month. Yom Kippur, it says it's the tenth day of the seventh month. Uh, Sukkot, it says that it's the fifteenth day of the seventh month. Uh, Pesach, it says that it's the fifteenth day of the first month. So every holiday has a calendar date that the Torah attaches to it, except the giving of the Torah. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say the calendar day. It says, count 50 days from the time you left Egypt. In other words, the idea is that the Torah has a historical moment associated with it, but there's this eternality, this ongoingness about it, that it doesn't want to get pinned down to a date, an actual calendar date. And there's another expression of that, um, which is, which is an explanation that Rav Frimer, again, he was the, the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmei Lublin, says, the Medrash says that before God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, he offered it to other nations. And the other nations, uh, unlike the Jewish people, um, asked, well, what's in it? You know, before, before we accept it, like, what are we getting into here? Um, the amazing thing is that the Jewish people said, uh, you know, we will, we will do and we will hear, which means that we, even before we knew what was in it, we already were accepting it because we understood that God is good and that whatever he's giving us is good. And therefore, we're on board. Just tell us the details. And, you know, I've shared with you before, just it's a kind of a, a beautiful expression of love and friendship. Um, if someone comes up to you, like I'm sure you've had this experience before, where someone's come up to you or you've come up to someone and you and you say, can I ask you a favor? And the other person goes, what is it? <laughs> I'm sure we've had that said to us and we've said it to other people. You know, can I give you a, a like, you know, it's got to be real, but can I give you a beautiful alternative to that? Someone comes up to you and says, can I ask you a favor? And you go, yes. <laughs> it's such a expression of love, you know? So that's what we did with God. God said, do you want my Torah? And we just said, yes. <laughs> and then, of course, of course, we needed to know what's in it so that we can do it. But, but it was just a yes. Um, so it says that God went up to the, the children of Esav and, and offered them the Torah. And, and the children of Esav said, what's in it? And God said, don't murder. And the children of Esav said, Mm, I don't know. <laughs> That's, you know, we kind of live by the sword. So I don't, I don't see how that's going to work out so well. So, so they refused it. And it says that God went to the children of Yishmael and offered them the Torah. 
And the children of Yishmael said, what's in it? And God says, you know, lotinof, which means don't commit adultery. And they were like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of steps on how we kind of run our society. So, so, so they turned it down. Now, now seemingly, there must have been some explanation that God offered based on this, that God said to the Jewish people also. So, so this is, I guess, a slightly alternate, alternative account to just the Nasev Nishma that, that we just said to God right away that we want to do it. So in this version, God also told us um, what was in the Torah. But we said yes to it. Now, now, let me explain further. You see, according to Rav Frimer's understanding, what, what Hashem did with the children of Esav and the children of Yishmael was he took that aspect which was going to be hardest for them to change and said that first. Right? So, in other words, because our relationship with God and our relationship with the Torah, which is an expression of God's will, has to come from the deepest, deepest place within us. So why was God indicating, you know, murder and adultery as sort of like the, the opening statement? Like if, you, if you're in sales, you don't want to open with the, with the hardest aspect to make the deal, right? You know, eventually you'll get to that. You want to get them more interested, more interested, then you'll go, and there is this other thing, you know? And yet God is just like opening with that. So why? What's the logic of that? And the logic is, is that God just cut to the deepest place right away. Because the only way that we're ever going to be in that eternal relationship with God is if we're bringing the deepest aspect of ourself to that relationship, right? In other words, we're not holding anything back. That's why God opened with those, with those things in those instances. So there must have been the hardest thing for us, too. And what was that? What were we able to overcome that they weren't able to overcome in order to show God our willingness to be in this type of relationship with him forever? So hopefully you hear the question. And the answer is very, very beautiful. Raphimer looks into the Torah and he says, what was basically the last test that God gave us before he gave us the Torah. Because if you actually look into the account, the narrative of God giving us the Torah, the very last test that he gives us before giving us the Torah, that probably was the hardest thing for us to overcome in order to enter into this relationship. Do you understand? So what was that account? What, what was that test? And the way it's written in the Torah, it doesn't, it's not written as a test. But with this background that, that we've just gone over, you can hear it as a test and you'll hear the logic of it. And, and, and again, it's very, very beautiful. So what does Hashem say? 
Hashem says, before I give you the Torah, here's what you need to know. You, I'm going to put a boundary around the mountain such that you can't run to the mountain. And that was the thing that we had to overcome. So let me just say it very clearly, just in case that was a little cryptic. In other words, the hardest thing for us is for there to be any separation between us and God. (laughs) That's the hardest, hardest, hardest thing for us to be able to accept that there should be ever any, any barrier, any boundary between us and God. So the very last test God gives us before giving us the Torah is says, don't run to the mountain. <laughs> because he knew that all of us, as soon as God starts speaking, it's sort of like, run, get closer. <laughs> no separation. Let's go. Charge to the mountain. God understood that that was the deepest expression of who we are as a people. And so God gave us this test, which is there's going to be a boundary around the mountain. And you're going to have to respect that. And and we did. We did. It doesn't, you know, there, there are certain instances in the Torah where God expresses his will, and then afterwards comes the report card, and it says, and the Jewish people did this, right? You know, and, you know, somehow we went out to collect the man when we weren't supposed to, right? Things like that. But you know what you don't see, amazingly? After God says there's a boundary, you don't say, and... Yoel from the tribe of Benjamin <laughs> ran to the mountain and this guy ran to the mountain and you don't see that. Like we totally passed that test. Now let's try to understand what that is on a deeper level. And I'm telling you my understanding of it, but I think this is what Ruff Rummer is, is, is getting at. That God is giving us, you know, it says that, that the Torah is, so to speak, God's, God's soul, right? Now, God is, of course, beyond all physicality whatsoever. But, but it says that, that, that God, so to speak, in, in the Torah is delivering his soul, his essence to us, which is beyond, 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 right? And, and so it's the ultimate closeness. A, a mitzvah comes, the, the Hebrew word for mitzvah, the root of that means to, to connect. So the mitzvot, which are the, you know, the, the essence of the Torah, are these divine connections with God. But on some level, God is beyond, 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 beyond. And... And I guess that's a I guess that's a real test, you know, knowing that you can connect to God in fullness, but that there's ultimately a level of a boundary, because at least in our present state, we're finite or we're encased in this body which is finite, encased in this world which is finite, right? Amidst the infinite, 
And there will be that part of God that will always be beyond us. And for a lot of people, that could be a stumbling block where you go, you know something, if I can't fully grasp you, if I can't fully understand you, then I can't be part of this relationship. And yet, the Jewish people, in, in our humility, understood that, that God is, is just so great that, that we'll never be able to fully grasp him. And yet, that will not stop us from being in a relationship with him. You see, there's so many people who see evil in the world. They see suffering in the world. And they're not prepared to say, God is good and this is beyond me and one day I'll understand this. You know, at the end of 120, I'll be able to understand this. They say, I don't understand this. And God, I can't be in a relationship with 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 a power with that I can't fully grasp that that I can't be on board with this idea that I won't run to the mountain that there will be a boundary around this mountain I can't do it that that exists and it, it it's it's pretty widespread today very widespread today do you know what percentage of the people who quote unquote don't believe because they don't fully grasp God, because there is that boundary? That's why I, I always feel as though maybe this Torah from the Katskarebi possibly is, is the most important Torah for our generation. Possibly. I mean, who am I to say such a thing, right? Such a, a sweeping statement. But, but I believe it. I do. And he said... I would never worship a God that I fully understood. (laughs) You see, because if you fully understand God, then you're also God. So then what do you need God for? In other words, one of the premises of God being God is that you don't understand him. Do you understand that? That's one of the premises of God. Because if you fully understand God, then you're also God. So then what do you need God for? But there are a lot of people who won't enter into a relationship with God, knowing that they're not fully going to grasp God. And that was the test. Rob Firmer says that was the test the Jewish people were given before they accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's the meaning of God saying there's going to be a boundary around the mountain and you can't, you can't touch the mountain. It's big. It's big. It's big. And again, the incredible thing is you don't see a report after God said that, a list of all the people who ran to touch the mountain. You don't see it. Like we did it. We did it. We did it. We accepted on the deepest level that, you know something, we will be able to approach a certain amount, but God is beyond, 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 beyond.
And you know something? If you look at it a different way, not only does that not stop me from wanting to be in a relationship, that makes me want to be in a relationship with God so much more. Because if God is so infinite, and I get to be in a relationship with God who is beyond infinite? Yes. A a thousand times yes. A thousand times yes. Okay. So now I want to share another unbelievable teaching, right? This is one of the best teachings I've I've run across in, in the longest time. And again, from, from the, this amazing Safer, which is now available, um, it's back in print, thanks to a lot of your contributions and things like that. The Eretz Fee, this is Rav Frimmer's Safer. Um, and it's, uh, we have it in two volumes. It's on the Chumash and on the holidays. It's, uh, you, you have to run out and get it. It's, it's just in Hebrew, but you can learn it with someone if your Hebrew is not so great. Um, and if you do speak Hebrew, it's a, it's a must. It's a classic, classic Hasidic work. Okay. So, so there's a, a Gomorrah. And, and by the way, this is a, a page that everyone should know. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times people get fancy when they give Torah talks and they quote different pages from the Gomorrah. Well, there are certain pages in the Gomorrah that are absolute treasure chests. Okay. And so here's one that you should all know which is page 88 in Gomorrah Shabbos, okay? Peches, remember, Peches, 88 in Gomorrah Shabbos. It's line after line. It's like greatest hits from the Talmud, all on one page, okay? And that's where basically all the Midrashim about God giving us the Torah at Mount Sinai are located, okay? So it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And one of them, one of the um, teachings uh, is that when God gave us the Torah, and this is from uh, Yeshua ben Levi, who's, who's one of the great uh, darshaners, one of the great explainers of, of, of the depths of, of the Torah. He says, now, you ready? We're going to start. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says that with every utterance that God said at Mount Sinai, in other words, with each of the Ten Commandments that God said, and he quotes a, a, a verse from, from Shir Shirim, from the Song of Songs, that, that God's cheeks were filled with incense, with spices. And with each of the commandments that God gave us, he filled the entire world with this incredibly fantastic smelling Incense, right? Besumming, spices. It smelled so good every time God spoke a commandment. Now, only, only the Talmud, only the rabbis of the Talmud would make such a statement and then ask the next question. Okay, you ready for this? This is so Jewish. Like, like most people would be very satisfied saying, Wow, God spoke and the whole world smelled so good after he spoke. Listen to the Jewish response. The Jewish response is, if the whole world was filled with this incense, with this beautiful smelling stuff after the first commandment, 
when God spoke the second commandment, how is there any room for more incense? (laughs) In other words, if the world was already saturated with the beautiful smell from the first commandment, where's the room for the second commandment? And the third commandment and the fourth commandment. Isn't that Jewish? Only a Jew would ask such a question. So, so the answer is that God sent a wind and God blew after God made the first statement and filled the entire world with his beautiful smelling stuff. God blew all that beautiful smelling stuff away, and now he made room for the next commandment and to fill the world again with the beautiful smelling incense. Besamim, okay? Besamim is really the word. That's like a spice, right? Okay. So now, very Jewish question number two. (laughs) It says God blew it away. So Rashi wants to know, where did he blow it? (laughs) Isn't it enough just to say he blew it away? But if the entire world is filled with it, well, if you blow it, where are you blowing it? Like you're just blowing it to another part of the world, but you're not solving the problem. The world is still filled with the incense, right? So how do you make room for it? Where do you blow the incense? So Rashi gives us an answer, and it's an awesome answer, which is going to lead us on a wild and beautiful Torah adventure, okay? And the answer is, Rashi explains that God blew that awesome smell, that beautiful smell, into the Garden of Eden, okay? Okay, so now, Rav Frimer wants to know, how does Rashi know that God blew this beautiful smell into the Garden of Eden? Okay, so now, you know, let's get ready, because it's just going to be beautiful idea after beautiful idea right now. So, So let's begin with why the Garden of Eden smells so beautiful, okay? Because because it does. But why does it? And the Garden of Eden smells so beautiful because it's the repository of the beautiful smell that emanates from the good things that we do. Did you hear that? When you do a good deed, when you do a, when you do a mitzvah, when you do an act of kindness or love, you create a beautiful aroma. And that beautiful aroma is all collected in Gan Eden. And now are you ready for this? Do you know what heaven is made out of? Do you know what your afterlife is made out of? Your afterlife is made out of the joy that you gave Hashem 
from the beautiful things that you did. <laughs> Do you understand that? It's not like, it's not like heaven is some sort of institutionalized bureaucratic system where if you do a certain number of mitzvahs, you rise to a certain level, right? Like it could be very easy to imagine that that's the case. There's stratifications of light and the light are just, you know, just like expressions of bliss. And as you do more mitzvahs, you climb, you know, in terms of higher levels of bliss, but it's just sort of like this standardized sort of thing. And that's not the case. Listen to this. Your heaven is customized. Your heaven is absolutely individual. And your heaven is made out of the nachas ruach, ruach, the joy that you gave Hashem from the good things that you did. So you actually become immersed in God's joy over your goodness. <laughs> and that's heaven. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That's awesome. So meanwhile, all of that good smell is collected in the Garden of Eden. Okay. But now we're going to go to the next slide. And um, this is from the, the Holy Reb Baruch. Okay, the, the Reb Baruch was the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. And he gives the following explanation to this verse in the Torah about Gan Eden. And um, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it for you. Um, it's uh, in Breshis, right in the beginning of the Torah, in Genesis. It's chapter 2, verse 8. Okay, I'll read it in Hebrew and then I'll read it in English. Vayita Hashem Elokim Gan Eden Mikedem. Okay, it's the first part of the verse he's um, he's going to explain, and in English that means that Hashem God planted a garden in Eden to the east. So Mikedem is translated as meaning to the east, but Kedem also means before. Okay, so there's another level to that word. So what does it mean that God planted in the Garden of Eden before? Okay, what is that word before going on? So now listen to this. This is awesome. This is awesome. What Red Baruch says is that when God created the world, you ready for this? When God created the world, he saw all of the good deeds that we were going to do in the future. God saw all the good things that we were going to do in the future. And all those good things were going to make the best smell in the entire world, right? Because when you do something good, you make a beautiful aroma. So in the beginning, God saw all the good things that we were going to do. And he took all those beautiful deeds and attached to them all the beautiful aromas attached to those deeds, and he planted them in the Garden of Eden before we even did them. <laughs> That's what Mikedah means. That's what it means that God 
planted all of these things in the Garden of Eden before. Before we even did all these beautiful things that God foresaw that we were going to do, God was already preparing them in the Garden of Eden and filling the Garden of Eden with this awesome smell. Okay, so now let's bring it back to this this passage. So how does how does um, Rashi know? Rav Frimer is asking the question: How does Rashi knew that 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 God blew all those beautiful smells? That when God said each of the commandments, that He filled the world with this beautiful smell. How does Rashi know that God blew those smells into the Garden of Eden? Because that's where all the beautiful smells were from the very beginning. Which carries with it another level. And again, here's another beautiful, beautiful thought. Is that when we were accepting the Torah, God was already seeing all the beautiful things that we were going to do with the Torah. And he was already taking all that beautiful aroma and bringing it back into the world as he was saying the Torah. In other words, as he was giving the Torah... God was already seeing all the beautiful things that we were going to do in the future by fulfilling the commandments that he was giving us at that moment. So at that moment, God was already seeing, when he was delivering the Torah, how beautifully we were going to fulfill the Torah and was filling the world with the results of us already doing the things that we hadn't done yet. (laughs) He was bringing this awesome future into the present with all of its beauty all at once. So so now let's go even deeper. (laughs) Because Rob Frimmer wants to apply all of this logic, everything we've just been learning, and take one step back even further. So the Zohar says that God looked into the Torah and created the world. So what does it mean that God looked into the Torah? So he explains that God looked into how the Jewish people were going to do beautiful things with the Torah in the future. And he saw all of the mitzvahs that we were going to do. That's what it means that God looked into the Torah. God saw all the beautiful things that we were going to do with the Torah. And it says, from that kaychus, from that strength, from that energy, of all the things that we were going to do in the future, God created the world. Do you understand what that means? If I'm understanding it correctly, what that means is, is that the world is made out of all of the beautiful things that we were going to do with the world even before the world was created. In other words, all of our future beautiful actions, this world is made out of all the future beautiful actions that we were ever going to do. This world is made out of all of the goodness that we've done and we're ever going to do, even before we did it. 
These are all, in my opinion, mind-bending, beautiful thoughts and expressions of God's goodness. Because it shows you that from the very beginning, creation is made out of God's good eye, right? God doesn't have a body, but, but that how God was already, at the very beginning of creation, God was already seeing all the good things we were going to do. Do you understand? He was looking with a good eye at us, at the very moment of creation, and understanding all the beautiful things that we had inside us, that we were going to have the opportunity to express through the performance of his mitzvot. That's awesome to look at the world. Like when you look at a beautiful sunset, right? Or a beautiful flower or like the wings of a butterfly. And you think to yourself, wow, whose mitzvah was that made out of? (laughs) Wow, someone really must have gone out of their way. Someone must have really prayed really hard. And now it's a sunset. Right? You know, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know how many people have actually seen this, because I don't think it's a very common sight, are cactus flowers. You know, you, you see this, like, green shiny, rubbery, kind of like spiky thing coming out of the ground, which doesn't look like it can make flowers. Like, how does something like that make flowers? It just kind of looks like a, you know. And then all of a sudden, like out of it comes like this awesome flower in this very unexpected way. Like, What mitzvah made cactus flowers? (laughs) That must have been a really big mitzvah. Someone must have done something absolutely like, oh, this is impossible to do. This is so hard to do. And then somehow from that cactus, that spiky place, our hearts were surrounded by spikes. (laughs) And somehow we squeezed out of our heart filled with spikes A beautiful thing. And there was a cactus flower. All of a sudden, God said, okay, yeah, yeah. Out of that, I'm making cactus flowers. That person's going to do that thing. That's a cactus flower right there. I mean, it's a whole, how you, you can look at the world in an entirely different way, right? And it's this ongoing process. Because we've got this opportunity, if we're, if we're living life right, right? This is what Rav Frummer is bringing down. If we're living life correctly, then we're in this ongoing process of accepting and re-accepting the Torah. Again, imagine you're under the chuppah. Mount Sinai is compared to a chuppah, a, 
a marriage canopy between us and God. You're underneath the chuppah, and that ring, right, which is this ongoing, eternal, it just keeps on turning and keeps on turning, it, it it's, doesn't end, it's ongoing. So we're under that chuppah, and the world itself is being created and recreated, and created and recreated out of what? Out of the Torah itself. Because it says God looked into the Torah and made the world. Which are again, all of the great things that we're going to do and haven't even done yet. So that life then can become a process of just accepting and re-accepting, being under that chuppah, being in that place of closeness. And from that level of goodness and connection, all the things that God is now seeing that we're going to do, that now God is bringing back into the world and creating and recreating the world. But now the world contains that new thing, that new beauty that we want to do. And now that new beauty that we want to do is factored into creation. So that we're putting all of this beauty, this new beauty, Maybe it was foreseen at the very beginning. But now we get to do it ourselves in this conscious way, which is a whole nother level. That all of our dreams and all of our hopes and all the good things that we want to do now are now factored and put into the world as though we've already done them. That's awesome. That's awesome. What a way to go through life. Okay, we'll stop here. What follows now are some questions so, and answers. So can, this idea that, that, that fragrance or, or smell and memory are connected, so, so you're saying neurologically there, there's a connection. It's, it, that's, that's very interesting. Certainly... We know, um, I guess Proust was the great, um, you know, uh, exemplar of that, you know, that, that he would taste those, you know, taste and, and smell are, are, are largely linked. Um, uh, in fact, taste is mostly smell. Um, so, so he would have those, those Madeleines, those, those little cookies, and they would bring him back to his, his childhood. And of course, smells, you know, reawaken memories for us. So so that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when we leave Shabbos, the Havdalah ceremony, you know, Shabbos is, is, is called a miniature of Gan Eden. And we just said that the repository of every good smell, of all the goods that we, of all the good things that we do, the, the headquarters of all those good smells is the Garden of Eden. Um, and in Shabbos, we're, we're, we're back in the Garden of Eden. So, so one of the levels of, of you know, Havdalah, that, that, that we, 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 we smell something beautiful before we enter into the week, I think is for us to remember that, we've, that even though we're going into the week, even though ostensibly we're leaving the Garden of Eden, that we're never leaving the Garden of Eden, that we're still, in the, that we're still connected to the Garden of Eden, right? Um, you know... The Bnei Yisachar brings down that uh, that if you look at 
the account of us eating from the tree of knowledge, every sense was negatively impacted. Um, it says that we, we, we saw the fruit, we tasted the fruit, we listened to the snake, we held the fruit. So all of the senses um, are, are, uh, were negatively impacted, but it doesn't say anything about the sense of smell. And so the idea is that the sense of smell is that ongoing eternal connection that can never be broken between us and the Garden of Eden. And on a very deep level, you know, the, the, the high point in terms of the avoda, in terms of the, the, the heavenly service that the, that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest of Israel, does on, on the holiest day of the year, on, on Yom Kippur, is he goes into the Holy of Holies and he offers incense. So again, you know, that, that forgiveness, that, that divine connection that even if we do wrong can never be broken is expressed in Torah language through the sense of smell, through the incense in the Holy of Holies. Um, so, so I think on a very deep level, um, it's important to awaken w- within us in a, in a very real way um, that, that that connection between us and perfection, as far away as we are from perfection, but that, that, that it can never be broken. That, that us, and let me say it in a different way, that us and a perfected world, that that connection is ongoing and always exists even amidst the brokenness of this world. Philosophically, you're you're asking one of the deepest questions in the whole world, which is that if God already knows what we're going to do, how do we have any free choice not to do that which He already knows we're going to do? So this is a question that um, that King Solomon himself says is you know like absolutely the deepest and the and the Rambam and everyone tries to come up with answers for it, but. But this is considered the, 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 the deepest, deepest, deepest question. So, so God um, gives us free choice. And so our tradition is that we absolutely have free choice. And at the same time, God absolutely knows what it is that the future holds. So, so it's, it's very, for us, it, it manifests itself as this um, great paradox um, but for God, it, it, it's not a paradox at all. So, so there are different explanations that, that are given. Let me give you my explanation, um, and you can research it, because again, this is something that um, people have discussed, this question, for, for thousands of years, okay? But I'll give you my, my, uh, my explanation for, for whatever it's worth. So, so there are certain, there, there's this idea in geometry, um, that parallel lines, you know, parallel lines here, I'll make them with my finger here. The, the de- they, they never intersect, right? The, the, in fact, the definition of parallel lines is that they never intersect. So by definition, they'll never intersect. Um, however, that's in what's called Euclidean geometry, which is like when, which is two-dimensional geometry. So if you're just drawing figures like a circle or a triangle or whatever it is on a piece of paper, that's, that's traditional geometry, what they call two-dimensional geometry. But 
What if you pick up the paper and you bend the paper? Right? Or what if you posit an extra dimension, three-dimensional? Like, like a circle is something you draw on a page. That's two-dimensional. But uh, like a baseball or an orange is three-dimensional. That's a circle with an extra dimension. That's, that's three-dimensional. Okay? So once you have parallel lines, which when you draw them on a paper, never intersect, once you add a dimension... In three-dimensional geometry, believe it or not, parallel lines intersect. (laughs) So, geometry against a curved space, parallel lines intersect. Now, the reason why I'm bringing that up, I, I find that endlessly interesting, by the way, is because you have our dimension and then you have higher dimensions. And there are certain things in our dimension that, so to speak, will never intersect. Like, how can we have free will and God knows what we're going to do anyway? If he absolutely knows what we're going to do, then we don't have free will. We have to do that thing that he knows we're going to do in the future. Right? The two ideas cannot be reconciled. They're like parallel lines that do not intersect. True. That's true. In this dimension, it's true. (laughs) But God is not limited to this dimension. God is in dimensions beyond, 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 beyond. Where what appear to us as paradoxes and irreconcilable contradictions are not contradictions for God whatsoever. At all. Okay? So, so that would be, that would be my answer to that question anyway. Hopefully that's helpful. I don't know. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.